We continue in our series, Who is Jesus? And today we're going to answer that question with He is compassionate. That's going to be our study today, the compassion of Jesus and how we see it in His life and ministry, and of course, what that means to us, and then some practical thoughts at the end today of how we can cultivate compassion in our own heart and in our relationships with others. We find many have written on this. I want to share a few quotes with you this morning to help us focus our thoughts on this topic. A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when the forget-me-nots have withered. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, of course, said, we must never minimize the suffering of another. Scripture's mandate to us is, weep with them who weep. R.C. Sproul continues and says it is important that when we are engaged in admonition or exhortation or confrontation with a brother who is overcome in sin, we call attention to the truth in an extraordinarily compassionate and tender and loving spirit. We need to remember that Jesus, in his most scathing denunciation, which was a blistering diatribe against the religious leaders of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, that even that ends with Christ weeping over Jerusalem. Compassion colored everything that he did. Compassion, though, is not complete by itself, but it must be accompanied by inflexible justice and wrath against sin and a desire for holiness. I love this because it brings into balance and into focus the very thing that we have been trying to do in our studies with theology, especially if we have studied who is God and now who is Jesus. We have to study the different aspects separately in order to do them well. As you know, we try to deal with a characteristic or a topic each week. And sometimes it's easy for us to kind of think just about that one characteristic and what that looks like. But we need to keep in mind the balance that we find in this quote by Billy Graham when he says that, yes, there is compassion, but we're dealing with God. We're dealing with someone who also is just and who has wrath against sin and a strong desire for holiness. Oftentimes in our life, when someone has to deal with these types of things, maybe they have to speak truth into our life and it hurts a little bit. But if it's driven with justice and wrath against sin and a desire for holiness and it's rooted in that desire, those things should never be seen as less than compassionate. But often that's how we view it, right? Well, that didn't feel very good, so that must not be compassion. Or that didn't feel very good, so that can't be love. But in all reality, those things that don't sound good to us or make us feel good about ourselves may be the exact things that we need and the most compassionate thing that someone can do for us is to speak that truth into our life, right? So it's not all about us feeling good. It's about dealing with truth and with facts. And this quote reminds us of the all-encompassing character and nature of God. While He is loving, He's also just. He also has wrath against sin, and he has the strongest desire for holiness of any living being in the universe. 
He goes about these things in a compassionate way, but they don't disappear, nor are they diminished because he's compassionate. When we show compassion, we must try to be just like Jesus. And we can't forfeit or compromise when it comes to a desire for holiness. Even if it puts us in difficult situations that result in difficult conversations with people, in a compassionate way, we must insist on holiness, but we must also deal with the things that bring about unholiness. And all of that can be done with compassion, and it should be done that way. Sympathy identifies with the problem, but compassion gets up, looks up, and says, I need to do something about this. That's what separates compassion from just feeling sorry for someone, right? It's, it's compassion. It's me understanding and empathizing with and relating to the pain in somebody's life. But it goes beyond that. It actually fuels and drives me to do something to help the individual. That's what true compassion is. It's not just a feeling. It is action. And as we are in this world and trying to be pure, as we have a desire for holiness and still try to operate with compassion, Francis Schaeffer reminds us of this profound thought that biblical orthodoxy, our striving to be orthodox and to be true in our belief system without compassion, that is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Now, we have quite a number of things that comprise our statement of faith that are what we would call non-negotiables, right? We believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, right, church? We believe in his sinless life, right? We believe in his, his uh, deity, that he is God. We've been learning about some of these things in our study. We believe in his vicarious atonement on the cross, whereby his death on the cross was, was certainly ample enough for every sinner who's ever lived to take care of their sin. And the way that that's done is if they believe. We, we believe in these things, the finished work of Jesus and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and so on. Those are all orthodoxy. Those things define orthodoxy. None of those things in orthodoxy are ever open for debate. Now, they can be debated, but as far as being convinced about them and being settled about them and being grounded in them, those are the things that define what we believe. And if those things are compromised, you don't have Christianity. You have something different. But without those things, you don't have Christianity. We're locked in on those things. We should even be militant about those things. However, we should never be mean about those things. We can stand in orthodoxy as strongly as anyone else. But if we don't do it with compassion for a world that needs Jesus, who may even be enemies of the cross... We will never be able to make disciples out of them. We will disqualify ourselves from that opportunity if how we go about taking our stand is not compassionate. Jesus and his hatred for sin, his perfect hatred for sin, we're going to see in our study, found himself intentionally in the audience and in the company of people that most religious people of his day would have nothing to do with. Did that mean he compromised his orthodoxy? Absolutely not. 
It just meant that he went about living out his orthodoxy with compassion, especially for the people who needed the message that he brought. And that is exactly the function of the church today. I'm not saying don't be militant about your orthodoxy. I'm just saying don't be mean about it. Be winsome, be inviting, be compassionate with a world that needs Jesus. First today, we're going to look at the biblical meaning of compassion. You have some Hebrew and a Greek word or two that talk about this and are often translated as compassion. By the way, you don't have to know how to say those, but that's what they are. They mean to show pity or love or mercy. Literally, in the biblical languages, it, it, it is speaking of, and it resonated in the culture, to be moved to one's inside or even bowels. You've seen bowels of compassion in the Bible. And in the biblical culture, this was used because the inner, inner parts of a person's body were seen to be the seat of emotion. And so when you wanted to speak deeply and connect deeply with someone, you would use terminology like this to, to make your point. And that's what's being done here in Scripture. We learn that it is the disposition that fuels acts of kindness and mercy. It's, it's connecting with someone's pain and, and actually being in that pain with them and then not just staying there with some kind of an emotional feeling or shedding of tears, but actually being moved so much that action is the consequence and the result. This disposition, this emotion that fuels action, kindness, mercy, it's aroused when we are confronted with those who suffer or are vulnerable. Someone put it very simply, and I love this maybe of all the definitions of compassion I've ever read. It just cuts to the chase. Compassion means to suffer together. To put yourself with the person in their suffering, to actually in a way, feel their suffering as you empathize with them. Maybe you have been where they are and you can feel that pain with them. And then to do something about that pain in a tangible way that ministers grace and love and peace to them. That, I think, helps us to understand what we mean when we say compassion. Now, obviously, we need to look at the example of Jesus today. We're, after all, we're studying him in our series, and he is going to serve as our perfect example. I want us to see, first of all, that Jesus shows compassion just in how he generally ministered to people. And he showed this compassion, first of all, I love these verses that we're going to look at, he, he communicates a sense of belonging to needy people. I just love this. In Luke chapter 9, when the crowds found out they followed him. Now, let me just pause there for a moment, and let's try to jump into this culture and in this context. You've got Jesus, right? And he was walking around to these various places. He was traveling around. He was preaching the message of the kingdom. He was also doing some incredible, miraculous things. We know what he did. We've read the gospel record. In fact, John even tells us it. It kind of piques my interest a little bit because this is a conversation I think that I want to have when I get to heaven. Or maybe it's one of those things, as many have explained, that when we're perfected, these things just are a part of our intellectual capital. We don't have to be told anything because we are perfect before God. And all these things that we have questions about, I think we're going to instantaneously understand. 
I don't think we're going to have to have a conversation with God where He explains it all to us. I, I think that diminishes the perfection of the existence that we'll have in heaven. And I think all these things that we have questions about, we're going to know. And probably, probably this one that I'm bringing up now. When John talks about there were so many other things that he did that are not recorded in the Scripture, that blows my mind, okay? That blows my mind. I want to know what that stuff is. And maybe that's one of those things that we'll instantaneously know in our perfect glorified state. I hope so, because I'm curious about that. But you put yourself in that culture, you got this guy walking around, and he's healing people. He's multiplying food like no one's ever seen before for thousands of people. And, and he's just, he's just incredible. He's incredibly wise. He confounds all the religious leaders. In fact, he rebukes them. You can imagine the, the crowd and the following that that would bring. People would come just to see the next miracle. Even if they weren't interested in who he was or what he was saying, that was the place to be. Everywhere Jesus went was the place to be because of what he was doing. And people would have been drawn to that crowds and throngs of people. I, I don't think we understand the, the ministry drain that that was on Jesus. Don't forget, he had a physical body, and he's being pulled in a thousand different directions. His, his followers are even concerned for him because they try to shoo people away, even the children at one point. He says, no, let them come unto me. This is okay. I know I'm tired. I know that I've been ministering, but let the kids come to me. And then he goes on to teach everyone who's there why that was so important and gave some profound truths. But here he is, spent, tired, weary, hungry, thirsty, just like we would feel. These crowds come to him, and what is his response to them? Because he's compassionate to them, even though he was spent physically, he welcomed them. I love that. That's compassion. That's putting someone else's needs ahead of your own. Even if they were just showing up to be curious, he wanted the opportunity to teach them about himself. And it didn't matter how tired he was, how spent he was, how drained he was, he wanted everyone who came and showed an entrance to, interest to have a sense of belonging, and so he welcomed them. Even all the ones who were just there to see the show, they were welcome too. I think it speaks to how the church needs to embrace people who are coming and the sense of belonging that we need to have to everyone who shows an interest. Whether or not they're here for the right reasons, that's not our department anyway. Let's communicate like Jesus does with compassion and meet the needs of people. Well, we know he meets physical needs, doesn't he? Of course he does basic physical needs. In Matthew chapter 15, now Jesus summoned his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse on the way. Real concern and compassion for these people in a physical need, and he meets it. Now, I want to be careful with this too because Jesus was not exclusively a humanitarian worker, okay? He was, he met physical needs of people, but that was not exclusively what was driving him. And we, the church can't miss this today. I am all for helping people. I'm all for feeding people. I'm all for building schools and hospitals and church buildings and other places of the world where they don't have resources to do so. I think those are all good and necessary things. I am for all of that, but I'm not for all of that minus gospel conversations. 
The church is not here to just do humanitarian work. If humanitarian work opens the door for gospel work, then so be it. And it ought to be utilized in such a way to be effective to, to that end. That's the pattern that you find in Jesus. He wasn't just the miracle worker. He wasn't just the, the, the feeder of people and putting food in people's bellies. He did that, but that was not all that he did. There was something greater beyond that. He used the ministry of meeting physical needs to engage people in conversations that could change their life for eternity. And he did it with regularity. He serves as our example. And as we are compassionate and reach out to people, it's one of the reasons I love this ministry. The Loshas were here this morning in the 8.30, and they, they are the ones who lead the not-for-profit not mission possible. As they came in this morning, I greeted them. I said, do you have a lot of possibilities in your life today? I mean, really, it's impossible from a human standpoint, but they're so motivated by God and what He wants them to do in Grand Rapids in the city. They've named it Mission Possible, and they've been going for years, and many of you in our church volunteer and go with them. They just go down in the city and minister to homeless people. Clothes, food, some of you donate to this. But there's always a group of people that are involved in that ministry who literally go out and walk the streets, encouraging people to go to where they can get food and clothing. But also, you know what happens? Gospel conversations with the homeless. And we've had one, one of our former members who's now in heaven, I hope he's cheering me on this morning. He always did it when he was here, but Chuck Sharon, I don't think he ever missed a week, did he? He went down there. He would tell stories about giving the gospel to homeless people. He said, Pastor, I've been spat on and swore at and everything else. He just kept going, kept meeting physical needs, but also talking about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And compassion can drive that and use people in remarkable ways. But don't forget the spiritual these are just tools to be used to have those conversations. He met physical needs like hunger and thirst. He, he also met health needs too. Did he look at Matthew 14 with me? As he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, felt compassion for them, and healed their sick. And I'll be honest with you, there are days that if I step ashore and see a huge crowd, I'm getting back in the boat and going fishing somewhere. <laughs> right? I'm tired. This is the last thing I want. It's a bunch of people. <laughs> right? I don't feel that way about you often, okay? But anyway, <laughs> and if you feel that way about me, that's cool. We can talk later and have coffee and laugh together. But you get the point, right? He steps ashore. He's got to be tired. It's, the Scripture says huge crowd. I don't know how many that is, but it's enough to be a pain. And he feels compassion for them, and he goes right into just healing sick people. Again, he was trying to get people to stop and pay attention to who he was. These sign gifts that were given to the apostles in, in the early church were done for the sake of advancing gospel. That was the whole reason. They were given to people so that a message would be validated and so that a messenger would be recognized and validated, all for the purpose not of building a large church and buying jets to fly all over the world. It was for the purpose of advancing gospel. 
It was for the purpose of being able to show the power of the Holy Spirit so that people would listen to the gospel. Now, I believe these gifts have ceased, as Paul taught us. I believe that happened at the completion of the canon, and that's our position, and that's where we stand. But at the same time, they were given for gospel reasons and purposes. So God wasn't through Jesus, wasn't trying to be a rock star getting all this attention because he was healing their sick. That's not what's going on here. He wanted to minister truth to meet the needs of their heart and soul. How about emotional needs? He does that too, doesn't he? John chapter 14. He was so worried about his followers. He knew he was getting ready to leave them, and he wants to minister to their emotions because he loved them so much. And guys, don't forget, all of these guys were men, okay? It's okay to be emotional, and it's okay to be in touch with your emotions, all right? Some of us have grown up thinking as men that it's not cool. Well, listen, these guys had emotional issues, and Jesus knew this. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. There's something coming, right? He's trying to prepare them for his absence from them. And he pours into their soul and into their heart with reassuring truth, in a powerful way, and he reminds them that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and although he's going to be gone, he's going to prepare a place for them. They had this blessed hope in Jesus. He loved people and connected with them emotionally. He also speaks to the intellect and spiritual needs. He steps ashore in Mark 6. Here's this huge crowd again. He has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But notice, he wants to love them and care for them. But what does he do? He speaks to their intellect. He begins to teach them. So while he was feeding them and healing their sick, he's teaching them. This passage kind of pulls it all together for us. This is what he was about. His compassion fueled this action to meet their needs. Boy, this is a tough one. I almost crossed this off today because I didn't know where I was. But look at this. Jesus shows compassion to his enemies. Anybody want to come up here and preach this section for me? I'm serious. I got notes right here. Anybody coming? Okay, so I'll do this. I'll do it. But just know that none of us are perfect, okay, in this. I want you to see what Jesus does for his enemies. And I'm not saying to you today that I do this to my enemies. I'm still, I'm a beginner, okay? I'm trying to learn this. I'm trying to learn this. He He selflessly serves them. This crowd was made up of people who, who would probably later hate him, and many of these would, would want him killed. But he saw the crowds. In fact, he would have known that already because he's God. And he felt compassion for them as sheep without shepherd. Potential people who would want him killed. He, just, he, he, he was okay with that. His entire earthly ministry was about serving people who would later want him dead. But he does it anyway. And then from the cross, he prays for them. Wow, what a profound statement. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They're killing me, but they don't really know who they're killing. And as he's praying, they're dividing his clothes and they cast lots. Wow. Are you there yet? Are you there? Did you pray for an enemy this last week? Did you? Wow. I don't know. It's something to look at, isn't it? But Jesus is perfect. And ultimately... I don't know if any of us will get here. He dies for them. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? We were his enemies. He reconciles us by dying for us. 
then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? He's even showing compassion to his enemies. I think of Nate Saint and that story, as you know, going into that remote place and those early missionaries giving their lives to try to get the gospel to those people. And then what happens later? More people go in and there were true believers that came out of that effort. That's, I think, what this looks like, humanly speaking. Going in, totally self-abandoned, giving your life not even getting one converse, gospel conversation started, and you're already dead. What do you think the families felt like of those early missionaries that went in? Well, we have testimonies of some of them, and somehow, by God's grace, they died to self in an amazing way. And then others were willing to go in and put their own lives at stake to take the gospel back into a place that had just killed missionaries. Unbelievable. I think that's what this looks like. But would we be willing to do that for the sake of advancing the gospel? We have a ways to go, I think, to get there, some of us. How about this one? And this is our last one in the life of Jesus, and then I want to give you a few ways to develop compassion. Jesus shows compassion to those whom others hated, marginalized, or ignored completely. The first example is Matthew, I think, that we'll look at. He calls Matthew to himself. Matthew was sitting at the tax office. He said, follow me. <laughs> what? A tax collector? We, we all know what people thought of them in the first century. But there's Jesus engaging a tax collector. People hated these people, literally. No, Jesus wanted him on his team. And he calls him, Matthew follows. And what does that provoke from the religious elite? They ask this question, the Pharisees. Why? Does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? <laughs> because he wanted to advance the gospel with the people who needed it the most. And the religious elite couldn't wrap their heads around that. It totally dumbfounded them. But here's Jesus, driven by compassion, engaging people that other people hated. He was constantly on the lookout as well for people who were spiritually sick. Look at Mark chapter 2. When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So he's going to hang out with sinners because that's why he's here. So I'm just going to ask you the question. I'll just throw it out there. When's the last time you hung out with some sinners? I mean some real sinners. When's the last time? The problem we have is we just get inside of our bubble. We never leave it, do we? We just never leave it. We're comfortable in our, in our environment. And if we're not careful, we can surround ourselves with people who are just like us, who already know Jesus. And if we're not careful, that keeps us in a bubble that we never get out of to even talk to people who need Jesus. But not Jesus. He went where they were. He was looking for them. In fact, that's what he saw as his mission. Boy, even sinners like the immoral, he engages them, doesn't he? The woman at the well in John 4 who had, what, five husbands of the man she was living with who she wasn't even married to. And then in John 8, the adulterous woman, he writes something in the ground. How many of you would like to know what that was, right? But there he is. 
these people that other people looked down on. In fact, in John 8, what were they wanting to do to this woman? They hated her so much they wanted her to die. And Jesus steps in the middle and interrupts that situation because he had compassion on sinners. We also see it in the life of Zacchaeus, don't we? In, in uh, Luke chapter 19, we're not going to read all 10 verses, but here, here he is. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. Very intentional. And then all who saw it began to complain, he's going to lodge with a sinful man. Wow. That's Jesus. Compassion on those who are sinners for the sake of advancing gospel. And what happens? It says, as we continue on in the passage, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Are we willing to get our hands dirty like that to advance gospel? Or would the Zacchaeuses of today have to rely on somebody else to advance gospel with them? Jesus also ministers to the poor and the disabled. I love this about Jesus. They came to Jericho in Mark 10 and leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd. Here again, here's all this strain, large crowd of people. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road, and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. And many people told him to be quiet. Listen, they wanted to marginalize him and push him out of the way. You don't deserve Jesus. Be still. But he was crying all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. So he threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said, I want to see. Go your way, Jesus told him, your faith has healed you. Immediately he could see and began to follow him on the road the poor and the disabled, Jesus engages and shows compassion. How do we develop it? Let's talk briefly and I'll be finished. A few things. First of all, make compassion a part of your daily routine. Do random acts of compassion. You see a need, if it's within the power of your hand to do so, respond in an appropriate way. Make it a point to try to do one compassionate thing every day. It could be a spoken word. It could be anything. Don't allow the differences of other people to be repulsive to you. That's why you had forgotten, hated, and marginalized people in Jesus' time, because their differences were repulsive to others. They couldn't get over the difference. They weren't just like them, so they didn't want anything to do with them. Refuse to allow whether or not someone is deserving to determine your compassion. The truth of the matter is, no one that Jesus was compassionate to deserved it. But that was the whole point, wasn't it? Cultivate consistent gratitude for all that God has done for you. When you reflect on the compassion of God in your own life, that does something in your heart. It helps you to remain humble and willing to be compassionate yourself. Be a good listener. Sometimes needy people talk a lot, don't they? They just do. They need to tell somebody what's going on in their life. You can either see that as a bother or an opportunity. I don't care if they talk so much your ears bleed. Be a good listener and respond. It's the only way you're going to know their needs if you're willing to listen. And then 
take deliberate steps to be well-informed about the needs of others and make a response plan. Really, it works. Our prayer resources in our church are very helpful for this. They provide for us specific needs of people that you could respond to. There's one that's published weekly. There's another that's published monthly that's more long-term requests. Read those. Get a hold of those. If you don't get them, sign up and get them delivered to your inbox and begin to use them as a resource for showing compassion. Don't forget, the easiest way to remember what all this is about is that quote from the beginning. It really means to choose to suffer together. Find somebody this week that needs you to suffer with them and do something about their suffering.